Now, just from looking around the room, I know that many of us have been Christians most to all of our lives. Many of us have grown up in the church. Uh, And no doubt you are familiar with this passage, Jesus calming the storm at sea. So I want to invite you guys, let's disregard what we know just for a second. Let us see this text afresh. What is this text trying to communicate to us? Because I suspect that many of us have missed the main point of this text in the familiarity of it. And we might not be able to receive what God has to say to us this morning due to that familiarity. So let's look at this objectively as we, op- as we examine this scripture. As Jesus has been showing us over the course of this chapter and into the next chapter that Jesus has authority All authority in heaven and on earth, as Matthew 28 will later tell us. But he has authority over diseases, over ailments, even over demons, as we've seen. And here he shows he has authority even over nature itself. The most unpredictable and uncontrollable part in all of nature, or in all of creation, I should say. I heard one report that China has reportedly spent billions of dollars trying to control local weather patterns for them, only to receive questionable results at best. And it's been said that uh, the best job in the world you could possibly get is a weatherman, because you could be wrong every day of your life and still keep your job. Because who could control the weather? All I'm saying is if I was as wrong as the weathermen were, you guys would get rid of me in a heartbeat. That's all I'm saying. And yet Jesus has complete authority over something that we can't control or even predict 2,000 years later. That ought to give us some encouragement. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a particularly difficult region to be able to predict the weather. And for a number of reasons, the sea is actually 600 feet below sea level. And to the north, you have Mount Hermon, which rises up to 9,200 feet above sea level. So do the math. That's almost a 10,000-foot drop in elevation. And when a strong wind would come over the mountain and through the cool air and reach the warmer air below... It would create an environment that could create some very turbulent storms very quickly that you couldn't even see it coming. And so the storms like the kind that they would, that the disciples experienced in our text could happen quickly and rapidly and violently. And, and keep in mind, these disciples, at least many of them, were experienced fishermen. These guys were no stranger to the sea. They weren't like me, for instance. You know, if you, if I'm out there on, I haven't been on a boat in years. So if you put me out on a boat, I'd think we're perishing just if the tide is changing. But these guys wouldn't fret over the most insane storms I've ever seen. So for these guys to say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. That gives you an idea of the magnitude of this storm. So let's not confuse this for that drizzle we had yesterday. This was an incredible storm, much bigger than than perhaps they had even experienced before. 
And with that in mind, I think that one of the main reasons we miss the point of this text is because we hear the wrong message. And we certainly get the wrong message teached to us. For instance, you guys remember after Superstorm Sandy came through this region, what was that big phrase, that big ad campaign that came through that you heard on the radio, you heard it on TV, you saw it everywhere. New Jersey, we are stronger than the storm. Yeah, some of you guys remember that. And it was everywhere. And to this day, I still see versions of it appearing from time to time. I still see spiritualized versions of it saying something to you, emphasizing something to the effect of, we are stronger than our circumstances. We are stronger than the storms of life. And, and people quote Bible verses to support it, saying, we are more than conquerors, as Romans 8 tells us. But they don't finish that verse. What does that verse actually say? It says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not the conquerors. We're marching behind the conqueror. Jesus is the one doing all the work. We're, we just happen to have picked the right team to march behind. That's the big, th- the big difference. This passage does not teach that we are stronger than the storm. It teaches us quite the opposite, as even those most experienced being out at sea are overwhelmed. This is bigger than them. So I can't come up here and teach you are stronger than the storms of your life. Because I don't know if that's true. We're, I, I imagine in a room of this size with enough people gathered here, we're all going through some things. We're all going through family circumstances, medical circumstances, financial situations. I imagine there's quite a number of storms brewing, even as I'm just looking around. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm not psychic. That's between you and the Lord. But I just know these things to be true even in my own life. So this, te- But this passage teaches us that while these storms are bigger than us, the one who stands with us is greater still. That's the big takeaway that we're going to expound upon. And I keep emphasizing that because it's, it's not abnormal to go through storms in life. Like, look, I've been through some hard times. I've gone through trials that have lasted years at a time. Um, it, 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 I've been up all night stretching myself thin, working through things. This passage guarantees at least one thing, that life isn't promised to be easy. Storms are coming. You know, I once heard somebody describe that life is a series. You're either about to go into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or just got out of one. You could view life very much that way. And if that describes your circumstance, that just means you're normal. Don't think you're abnormal or less spiritual just because you got stuff going on in your life. I know I do. But the difference is if you won't find me up all night despairing of life or full of anxiety and full of worry about how it's going to turn out because I just know that my Redeemer is going to sustain me somehow, even if I have no idea how he's going to do it. And here's how I can do that. Here's how I know he will because of verse 24, that last four words in my translation where it says, 
but he was asleep. I can't tell you how much I love that verse. The the purposeful parallel between the panicking disciples and all of their worries and how Jesus is responding to that same set of circumstances. I've determined in my own life that I should respond and have the same attitude towards my circumstances as Jesus does. And if he's not freaking out, worried about how it's all going to work out, maybe neither should I. Maybe neither should I. If the disciples had the same confident peace that Jesus was with them, that Jesus had at peace, knowing his father was watching over him, they would have had that same peace, even as they were working through this hard circumstance. So, what are the disciples to do? In their eyes, they are perishing. So their response in verse 25 is, they went and woke him, that is Jesus, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Notice the first thing Jesus addresses is the disciples. He doesn't even address the storm first. I find that fascinating. Charles Spurgeon put it best. He said, Jesus spoke to the disciples first because we are harder to deal with than nature. Think about that for a second. Nature knows its place. Nature knew its place and obeyed right away. We're the disobedient sinners that need to hear it a few times before we fall in line. But did you see what Jesus does not rebuke them for? He never rebukes them for waking him up. I find that encouraging. Nowhere does he even imply that that was the wrong choice to make. It was actually the right one. It's the one that we see constantly throughout Scripture. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 tell us not to be anxious about anything, but to pray about everything. And that that's exactly what... The disciples did here. They went to Jesus with their problems. That's what we're encouraged to do all throughout Scripture. And there's a reason why a transfer of ownership takes place when we pray. I take whatever it is that's been bothering me, whatever's been causing me, stress and anxiety, whatever storm is above me, and I take my ownership of that, and I hand it to God. And it's now His to sort through and work out. It's now taken out of my hands and placed into his through prayer. So that's what I mean when I say prayer is a transfer of ownership. And that's why we're told to pray about everything, take all of the things of life and just give it to God. How much better would all of our lives be if we just knew that it was in God's hands and not in our own? I think that's actually the cause of much of our anxiety. I'll get to that in a second. Why don't they do that, though? (laughs) Why didn't the disciples do that earlier, before they got to the brink of thinking they were going to die any minute? I think too often we treat God like my own kids treat me. On like a Saturday morning when I'm grumpy, I haven't had enough sleep, and I haven't had my coffee yet. A little bit too hesitant to approach me. 
That's not who God is. You guys know that. We all intuitively know that. God never grows tired. He never grows weary. God is never under-caffeinated. He doesn't have the same problems we do. He is attentive always to the cries of his children. And I'll come back to that thought in a moment. But what he did rebuke in the disciples was their fear and their lack of faith. The reason they were fearful was because of their lack of faith. Here's what I mean. The the word here, speaking of their little faith, implies that their faith was ineffective or deficient. Now, we must remember that faith isn't a work. It's not something inside of us that we need to stir up and have a greater amount on. Every time we see faith addressed in the scriptures, it's about where our faith is placed, not necessarily how strong our own convictions are. What this is really talking about is how they were still understanding who it was in the boat with them. In other words, if they realized that this was God Almighty in the boat with them, they wouldn't have had such fear. They wouldn't have been so anxious. But they did what they needed to do was not to muster up stronger faith, but to have a clearer understanding of who God is, of who it was in that boat with them. That's what this passage is getting at. And they, and indeed we, need to learn that God is not smaller than the storm in front of us. We need to learn that God is bigger than the storms in our life and learn that at an emotional level, not just intellectually. And, and, and this is precisely our problem because we too, we fail to connect the dots when our minds and our hearts are full of fear and we forget these things that are so logically and obviously true. We all know God is bigger than our problems objectively, but when, our, but when fear grips our hearts, we, can, we get confused. And guys, we're not made to worry the way that we do. I mean, there are well-documented studies that prove that our mental and physical health is greatly diminished by fear, anxiety, and worry. I just brushed up and saw a bunch of studies that say that worry and fear can suppress our immune system, make us more susceptible to getting sick. It affects our nervous system. It can lead to accelerating, accelerated aging. It affects our memory. And enough stress could literally give you a heart attack. Guys, we are literally worrying ourselves to death. Quite literally. And which is exactly why two chapters ago in this gospel, two chapters ago in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Sufficient is the day its own trouble. That's what it teaches us. Because nothing else in all of God's creation worries like we do. Not the birds of the air or the flowers of the field. Only we do. And every worry we entertain is a tacit admission that we don't actually believe God is going to take care of us. We don't actually believe God is in control if we are worried. We're worried because we believe in that moment that we are in control. That's why we get worried and fearful. 
If we'd believed otherwise, it wouldn't be so. It reminds me of as the old fable goes, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. What a beautiful yet scathing rebuke of us and our lack of faith, right? I'm both in awe and a little convicted hearing that. Because every time we worry, every time we get anxious, it's because we have placed ourselves above God in our thinking, placing ourselves in control. And let me tell you, if there is no God, and it's up to ourselves to fend for ourselves, there's a lot to be afraid of in this world. Just turn on the news. Just go on social media. Within a half hour, you'll have 10,000 things to be worried about. It's getting ugly out there. We seem to miss that there might be a correlation between the news and the social media we consume and our anxiety. In fact, it's, that's also becoming very well documented. I've read enough. My kids will probably get a car before I let them have a Facebook account. It's getting crazy out there. And I'm getting off topic here, but you see my point. I think we'd all be better off, at least a little bit, if we just turned down the noise a little bit, turned off the TVs, turned off the news, turned off the social media, just opened up our Bibles a little bit more. I'm not saying the, the mere act of opening up this paper is going to immediately relieve your anxiety, but it's not going to contribute to it. And we're going to be reminded of the promises that do work like a medicine to the anxious heart. I know it does in my life. Because if God is who he says he is, and his promises in Scripture are for us today, and they are, then there is no room for worry. Then our anxiousness is illogical. If our Heavenly Father takes care of us, we don't need to fear sicknesses. We don't need to be afraid of viruses, storms, earthquakes, poverty, or even the enemy of our souls. Because as Jesus has proven time and time again, even over the course of this short chapter, Jesus has all authority over all of those things. Yeah, I'm not saying let's not be cautious. I'm not saying let your buddy with COVID-19 cough all over you. Let's be wise. But we don't need to spend our lives in fear, chained to fear and anxiety, and let it destroy our lives. But let's remember who our Heavenly Father is that even the robin and the sparrow have. And as we said in our first reading, Romans 8, 31 and 32 says very importantly, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is such an important verse. I invite you guys to mark that verse and meditate on it and think about what that verse means for you. Romans 8.32.
Because it means if God gave up his only son for you, is he going to withhold anything? He gave you his son. There's nothing greater he could give. He is The father has already given you the greatest and most expensive gift of all time. Anything else you could ask for in prayer is a drop in the ocean by comparison. So microscopic by comparison. It's nothing for him to give to you. It's nothing for him to graciously give you all things after he's already died for you. Whatever other prayer requests you have, whatever burdens are already on the heart, will he not also graciously give you those things? Of course. And if you believe this, (laughs) there is no room for anxiety. Because even if God says no to our requests, and if he doesn't heal us or heal our family situation we're praying for, even if he doesn't answer the way that we desire him to, we know that he's still answering according to his will. We know he's still working all things together for good. So it just means he has bigger plans in mind than what I ask for. So if some way, some greater good that I'm not aware of comes through my struggling, comes through my trial, comes through your storm of life, God's still working it together for good. Maybe in ways that we'll understand five, ten years from now. Maybe in ways we won't understand until we're on the other side of eternity. But God has a plan. We can trust that. So be it. We can still say, it is well with my soul. Our problem is that many of us actually don't believe this. I can think of two major reasons why. The first reason is that for some of us, we need to actually search our hearts and ask, am I really a Christian? Do I really believe this? Because I don't want to give anybody false assurance. The, Jesus himself said that many will come to me in the last day and say, and say, you know, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Scariest words in all the Bible. So make sure that's not you. Only you can, be, can know for sure. Do you really believe Jesus went to the cross to die for you? Do you really believe that he died to take away your sins? Do you believe that this is God's inerrant and infallible word of God? Do do you really believe that you are going to heaven someday, not because you're a good person, but because of what Christ has done for you? And And are those very truths as real to you as the air filling your lungs right now? If you do, we can apply these truths to whatever it is that's causing us fear. And we can be at peace this morning with whatever is going on in our lives. We can say, as that hymn says, it is well with my soul. Your job, your finances, your family situation, your emotional situation, it's in God's hands. Nothing is beyond his control. And again, I'm not promising life is going to be easy. It might be hard. It might require real pain and real sacrifice, whatever God is calling you to this season. 
But as Jesus said it, worrying about it won't add one cubit to your stature. The act of worrying about it doesn't make it any better. We can have peace in the meantime. But yet there's one other objection that I'll commonly hear when I'm talking to people. And this comes from Christians who are mature, who have been reading the Bible and have some validity to it. They'll say something to the effect of, oh, but who am I to approach God and ask for these things? Who am I to ask for God to intervene in this circumstance I'm going through? Why should he answer such a small thing? God doesn't owe me anything. I'm, I'm content to just go to heaven. And That's a valid objection. I see where that's coming from. It's got a point there. Unless you're a child of God. Because look, my children, they don't have any right to demand anything more from me. I give them a roof over their heads. I clothe them. I give them food. What right do they have to ask anything else of me? Unless I love them. Unless they're my children. Unless it's the greatest desire of my heart to give them whatever is best for them. Whatever is for their good. And I just want to see them thrive and become who God has made them to be. And if that's true, that changes everything. Both in relation of my kids to me and us. Each of us to God. Which is why 1 John 3, 1 is so important where it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That verse is a game changer. Just as I delight to answer the request of my children, just as I delight in giving my children things for their good, even if they don't understand it yet, so God loves us and has called us his children and delights to answer his our prayers for no other reason than our grace he invites us to cast our cares upon him first peter 5 7 we are invited to go before his throne of grace to obtain to obtain mercy in our time of need according to hebrews 4 and none of that has anything to do with what i have earned This has everything to do with my God-given identity as a child of God. That very title given to me by his grace. That is who we are to approach God. That is who we are to expect him to answer our prayers. Not because we demand it, but because he loves us. It has everything to do with him. I know my time is gone for me, but I just want to wrap up our text today in verse 26, where it says, He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. There's a not-so-subtle echo of Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1, actually, where Jesus is in the beginning creating the universe. And how does he do that? He speaks it into existence. He just says, let there be light and there was light. Let there be land and there was land. Let there be water and air and air was. 
And here, by that same authority Jesus had in his words in Genesis, so he speaks to the winds and the waves to be still. They remember the voice of their master and they obey. Wow. That's beautiful and I wish I had more time to unpack that. But in conclusion, verse 27 says, the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Contrast this to a few weeks ago. This isn't Jesus marveling this time, but the disciples. The disciples marveling at what Jesus has done. And guys, we ought to perpetually be marveling at our Savior. Not just for the things he can do to a storm. We should come to expect that in time. The longer we walk with him, the less surprised we are of some of the amazing things Jesus can do. What is shocking, amazing, baffling, and wonderful is that he does miracles like that for us. That he does miracles out of his love for us. That he answers his, our prayers for us. Who is man that you are mindful of him, the psalmist wrote. Who am I for God to answer his prayers but for his grace, his love, and his mercy? That is what we should marvel at. And that is why we rejoice, not just at the power, but the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.